It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Today on the On Enquirer podcast, we wrap up our Illini Football 2023 Big Ten opponent previews. We check in on the East Coast, Penn State not quite East Coast, but they're definitely East for the Big Ten. Uh, We chat with Tyler Donahue of our great Lions 24-7 site. Preview, likely the toughest opponent on paper for Illinois football. And that's a Penn State team that thinks it can be the dark horse and I don't even know how much Dark Horse is because they went 11-2 last year, and they returned a very, very strong team. But Penn State, the Big Ten opener for Illinois on September 16th. What is James Franklin bringing to Illinois? Is this his best team yet in Happy Valley? We'll break that down, and we look to Maryland. Familiar name, of course, Mike Loxley came into Illinois two years ago and escaped with a win. That's a, that's a game that made a huge difference of whether Illinois – well, they didn't make a bowl game in Brett Bielma's first season. They had that one in hand, up 17-10, five minutes left. Found a way to lose by three points uh, in regulation. So uh, looking to get some uh, payback for that one. But Maryland, quietly, good last two seasons. Not great. Uh, not great in the Big Ten, but they've done well in the non-conference. And they have a schedule set up where they can make some noise a little bit. Kind of uh, the popular pick outside of the top three in the Big Ten East. So we talked with Jeff Ehrman from our Maryland side at 24-7 Sports. Does a really good job there. Uh, so we'll get you caught up to speed on all of these. And go back, listen to these. I think it's just a great primer for Big Ten football. We're about a month and a week away from this happening. And uh, it's, it's good to get kind of caught up and get the insight from people who are on the ground we have a really good pulse on these teams. So we're going to do that. Also, I'm coming up going to discuss my big storylines of Big Ten Media Days, which starts on Wednesday in Indianapolis at Lucas Oil Stadium. You get half of the Big Ten coaches on Wednesday. That starts with Brett Bielma at the podium. Then we get to talk with them on uh, on the side, little scrums, and then they have another podium session uh, for about an hour that we get to talk with him, uh, as well as Josh Whitman, the Illinois Athletic Director, Isaiah Williams will be back at Big Ten Media Days for a second straight year, as well as Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph. So we'll have plenty from Big Ten Media Days. We'll be up there Thursday as well. A certain Ryan Walters will be there. Uh, we'll chat with him. And uh, it's just great to start talking about football again. So I'll have my biggest storylines here coming up in just a moment. Before we do that, I want to focus on one of our supporters. And if you're on the go like me, You got work, you got kids. Finding healthy and convenient meals can be very difficult. But that's where Factor comes in. They're America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, and they can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You don't have to cook. That's one of the biggest things I struggle with is, what do I want to cook? Then you actually have to do all the cooking. Well, you'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. How about some of these recipes? I like their Protein Plus plan. Got to get that protein in you guys. But how do these sound? Shredded chicken taco bowl with roasted corn salsa, cilantro lime sour cream. I'll take that. Herb crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower, toasted almond green beans, chorizo chili, and man, sausage and egg skillet. I'm a skillet guy. And these taste good. They taste good. They're prepared for you. They're ready to eat. And they're healthy. All of those things is what makes Factor great. And guys, we've got a deal for you, just for you Illini fans. Head to factormeals.com slash Illini50. That's factormeals.com slash Illini50 and use code Illini50 to get 50% off. That's code Illini50 at factormeals.com slash Illini50 to get 50% off. We're giving you Illini Inquirer listeners 50% off. Again, factormeals.com slash Illini50 and just use promo code Illini50. All right, Big Ten Media Days is around the corner. And, of course, the number one storyline now coming in 
this wasn't going to be the case just a couple weeks ago, right? But it's the fallout of Northwestern and what's happening with that program and without Pat Fitzgerald there and really just all the questions that are lingering. And you feel for first-year defense coordinator David Braun, who has never been a head coach before, and he's now tasked with holding that team together and trying to compete this fall, but it starts this week in Indianapolis where he's the face of the Northwestern program because Michael Schill is writing notes and writing press releases, but he hasn't really faced questions. Athletic director Derek Gregg, where is he? Is he still in Europe? Like, we, we aren't hearing from them, and, and that tells me a little bit of something. I think Michael Schill... Uh, who just really took over this job a, a couple months ago. Like, yeah, I think he could survive this. I'd be surprised at this point if Derek Gragg does, given um, you know what's happening with the baseball program there and the terrible hire he made. Uh, and then with football, it just seems like he's been toothless with this entire thing. So you have David Braun, who's I think in his 30s, and he's going to be the one representing Big Ten Media Days. He just came over from, uh, you know, I think it was North Dakota State, and now he's... Got to answer these questions. I mean, this is usually like a normal, hopeful, lighthearted affair. You know, you're talking about the hope of the season, some ridiculous questions that are just for fun. You know, some of us like to dive into things that are a little bit more serious, but that's big to media. Is it hope springs eternal now, right? Well, Northwestern and these three players that have to go there, man, these guys have to answer hard questions. Uh, I'm wondering if, if Greg will even be there. I, I, I almost doubt it. Because he should he should be the one up there taking the questions. But David Braun's going to have to answer some of these questions, even though he hasn't really been a part of the program very long. And he's probably not going to be there long because they're, they're looking for a, a new head coach. Uh, but the other storyline that will play out with this is how other coaches and athletic directors respond to what's happened. Uh, they'll be asked about how they've tried to proactively confront hazing um, and how the scandal kind of affects it moving forward and, and how they prevent it uh, from, from ever occurring. Uh, Storyline number two, Tony Petiti's debut. You guys know who that is? That's your Big Ten commissioner. For the second time in four years, the Big Ten has a new commissioner. And, you know, grading the Kevin Warren era, I mean, it was rocky to start. And I just think he really lacked the relationship and consensus building that that we really need for this job to succeed long term. So I think this was probably best for everybody involved that, that he went to the Chicago Bears. It makes sense. He's, you know, done this construction plan of a new stadium. So for my Bears, hey, I, I think it's a, a solid hire. Uh but for the Big Ten, I think getting somebody else in there that can maybe be more proactive and, and from what we hear from Josh Whitman, he really likes what what he's heard from uh Tony Petiti so far. But a lot of us are still trying to figure out what he is. I mean, we had Adam Rittenberg on the podcast the other week, and he said, I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out. And Adam covers the Big Ten and the Big Ten office as well as anybody. But uh, he's a longtime sports and entertainment executive. He's worked for CBS, MLB Network, did the video game stuff with Activision Blizzard, and uh, Major League Baseball. He was a COO there. Uh, so we're going to find out a little bit more of him about him when he stands up at the podium and talks for 30 minutes. What is his... Yeah, is he going to be the kind of empty corporate suit that it felt like um, Kevin Warren was most of the time? You know, every time at Big Ten Media Days, it just felt like it was it was a it was a sh- it wasn't really him. It felt like it was what he felt he was supposed to sound like. Uh, Jim Delaney, he always gave his state of the Big Ten, always said what he was going to say. You know, Josh Whitman's that same way, but there was an authenticity to him, and there was just a command that Jim Delaney had. Of course, he was always ahead of the curve, it felt like. Uh, but what does Tony Petiti, you know, what does he think about getting this media rights agreement to the finish line? Uh, whether the Big Ten will look to expand, I doubt he'll say anything. I'm sure he'll just say, hey, we're, we're good now, but we're always looking for what's best. But just to hear him actually talk about these things, uh, NIL, and really I think the biggest thing is what's the Big Ten's approach to the future of student-athlete pay? Uh, with all this litigation going on and, and the future of the Big Ten and the NCAA. So maybe we'll get to know a little bit more about the Big Ten's new leader and uh, just get maybe a better vibe of him than we did from Kevin Warren, who just, again, just he, he's, he had a successful run. I, I mean, if you look back on it, you know, getting USC and UCLA here, uh, which set up that record media rights package, kind of made up for some of the other stuff. Uh, that that really you struggle with early on, and, and COVID wasn't easy. But at the end of the day, his stewardship was a successful one. 
uh, because the Big Ten is set up long term to be one of the two super conferences in this league. But it just felt like it never, he never just fit or never just kind of took off in that job uh, where everyone else was just like, yeah, this is our guy. I'm wondering if Tony Petiti can do that this week. We got four new head coaches. That's my other storyline. Last year, there were no head coaching change. It happened pretty quickly with Scott Frost to get fired. But this year, you have four new coaches all in the West in the final year of the West. Wisconsin, Luke Fickle, I, I think outside of Deion Sanders, was the, the splashiest hire of the offseason. You're bringing so much change into here. Uh, new look with the offense, group of talented transfers, including quarterbacks. Nebraska, Matt Rule, taking over a tough job. Expectations are lowered at Nebraska, uh, but he's added several transfers. Uh, getting to a bowl game would, would be a huge accomplishment in year one, but this, this is a program that 25 years ago was competing for national championships. They won it in 94, 95, 97. Feels like that was a long time ago. I mean, it was, but uh, it wasn't that long ago in the history of college football. And now in the Big Ten, they've just really struggled to get their footing. Purdue, we know, Brian Walters, they stay in the Big Ten. They go defense this time around. They steal from a rival. And Ryan Walters has uh, recruiting going really well. Uh, he's got a tough schedule. But, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to talk with him. We'll, we'll have this in my line of storylines. And, of course, Northwestern I hit on already. It's the final year of divisions. I think it's a lot of urgency for Iowa, Illinois, Minnesota, Wisconsin. It's probably your best chance at a Big Ten title potentially in a while. Now, if you go, you know, Seven and two, you might have a chance to get to the Big Ten Championship, maybe. Eight and one, you certainly will have a chance to get to the Big Ten Championship. It's going to get tougher because, let's be honest, it's going to be more equitable uh, the, the way the league is going to be set up um, because the West is just not as good as the East. I, I like the West-East thing, but I think it's all because, you know, from our perspective, it makes you got something to play for uh, in the West. So you can get to a Big Ten Championship. Now, uh, this is the final year that one of Michigan-Ohio State – only one of Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State is definitely going to make the Big Ten Championship. So everyone else is going to have to up their game after this. But um, I think that makes a lot of urgency in the West and also means the East. It's going to be interesting. You can still get two in. Last year we saw Michigan, Ohio State both make uh, the college football playoff with 10-plus wins. Ohio State kind of backed in there, but they got to the national championship game. So maybe we can get another year of that happening as well. The other big storyline is the Big Ten quarterback play. A lot of new quarterbacks. This league has not been good for quarterback play. Ohio State is the only school to have a first-round quarterback since Kerry Collins in 1996. And they've had three in the last, what, four or five years. Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud. The last one before Kerry Collins in 95, and remember Penn State had just joined the league a couple years prior to that. Illinois' Jeff George in 1990. So from 1990 to 19. 2018, you had two first-round quarterbacks, Kerry Collins and Jeff George. And now you lose C.J. Stroud, Aiden O'Connell, Sean Clifford, all the NFL. J.J. McCarthy's a heck of a quarterback prospect. Dane Brugger, the athletic, has him as the number three prospect. He has no other Big Ten quarterback among his top 25 seniors or his top 10 draft-eligible underclassmen. Phil Steele has no Big Ten quarterback rooms in the top 15 of the country. <laughs> That's kind of insane. So um, J.J. McCarthy, Talia Tagovailoa, are the highest rated guys probably coming in, but you do get an infusion of talent from the transfer portal. Cade McNamara now at Iowa. Tanner Mordecai at Wisconsin. Hudson Card at Purdue. Luke Altmyer at uh, Illinois. Jeff Sims at Nebraska. Ben Bryant at Northwestern. Taven Jackson in Indiana. But the two guys I'm most interested to see, Kyle McCord at Ohio State. Drew Aller at Penn State, both former five-star prospects. So the Big Ten has big questions at quarterback. But there's a lot of talent at that position, uh, especially with the transfers, I think, are, are huge upgrades. But whoever steps up to the quarterback position, that will likely determine who plays in Indianapolis in December. After that, I think the Illinois storylines we're looking at at Big Ten Media Days um, mostly focus on how far maybe the program has come. What What is the national perception or the regional perception of Illinois? And how, how has it changed under Brett Bielma? I'm interested to see where they're ranked in some of these preseason polls. You know, Brad Crawford of 24-7 Sports had him seventh in the Big Ten. That's a big increase from, from recent years. I voted them third in the Big Ten West. I'm interested to see in the media polls if they're third or fourth. Um, because last year, I think they were sixth going into the year. Um, so 
That, that's a big story. On, I'm, I'm interested to ask some national media about that. Also, I mean, the story of the season for me is, can they finally sustain some success? You know, 2022 was a breakthrough, but so was 2007. So was 2001. Can you get that next season? Can you get to a bowl the next season? Can you compete and contend at the top of the Big Ten after that breakthrough season? I guess we got to ask Brett Bielman, the Illini players, their thoughts on New Jersey. Everyone else has Jersey takes on Jersey takes day. Um, I think the spotlight on the law firm, especially Johnny Newton. Uh, besides, I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr., clearly. Ohio State's got some other guys. But Johnny Newton's one of the best or highest-rated draft prospects at Big Ten Media Days. I'm just wondering what kind of attention he's going to get. Does an Illinois player, an alignment, is he one of the more popular players there? Of course, Ohio State, Michigan, Nebraska, Penn State, they bring different levels of you know, media to these events. But I'm just wondering if Johnny Newton's a popular guy, uh, especially with some of these national reporters, draft nicks, things like that. Uh, roster injury news. We usually get an updated roster here, so maybe we'll figure out the scholarship situation. Uh, we'll get some injury updates from Brett Bielma, all of that. Uh, haven't asked Brett Bielma yet, haven't been able to, about the Illini's transfer additions. Uh, Luke Altmyer, of course, is a big storyline. I don't know if he's going to add anything that we haven't asked him. And, of course, how do Brett Bielma and Ryan Walters approach being rivals now? A little bit of a rivalry. And, yeah, I think it's gotten a little bit more personal. Um, I think there's a lot of respect there, but uh, there's been recruiting battles and there's been some intense ones there. And now you're going to have some intensity on the field as well. So I'm, I'm really interested to say, see what they have to say about each other. Cause I think, I think they're going to say a lot of respectful things about each other, but uh, this is a rivalry now. And uh, I'm wondering if they kind of lean into it or if they're just, you know, very respectful of each other and say the the right things or what they're expected to say or something that won't cause any issues, right? So um, we'll see. We'll see you this week. Those are some of the storylines for Big Ten Media Days, but let's get you previewed on two more Illini Big Ten opponents. Let's go east. We'll stop in Maryland in a few minutes with Jeff Ehrman of Inside Maryland Sports. But coming up next, let's get the lowdown on Penn State. Can they push Ohio State and Michigan for the Big Ten East Championship in the final year of the Big Ten East? And how good is his quarterback, Drew Aller? We're going to talk with Tyler Donahue from the Lions 24-7 site next on the Illini Inquirer podcast. Hello everyone, it's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. All right, time to check in with Illinois' toughest opponent, at least on paper, on the schedule in the 2023 season, and that's Penn State coming to Champaign in mid-September for what is the Big Ten opener for both of these programs. And I believe Fox... Uh, big kickoff will be there for that game. Tyler Donahue covers Penn State for 24-7 sports. Tyler, um, is this the best roster that uh, James Franklin has put together in his time at Penn State? I don't think he's gone on the record and said just that. I think he's pointed out that positions are as deep as they've been, and he's started to pile up those positions lately. I don't think he will go on the record, but I think a lot of us have who cover the team. Uh, I only go back to 2017. My colleague here, Mark Brennan, though, goes back decades, and I know he feels like they've assembled one of the strongest rosters they've had in his time covering this squad, much less in James Franklin's tenure. And it's on both sides of the ball. It's a combination of experience coming back from an 11-win campaign last year, which exceeded expectations. And then 
this really big swell of, of young talent, that second year uh, class, the 2022 freshmen, uh, 11 guys burn red shirts. And that's just a, an astronomical number for a team that won 11 games. You'd think 11 guys burn red shirts. It's probably a team in transition or a team that's relying on some band-aids at certain spots. These guys just naturally won out jobs. Guys like Nick Singleton, Abdul Carter became preseason uh, or became freshman All-Americans last year. And so, look, sophomore slumps are a thing. I think we're all, you know, wary of that with a few of these guys and there's a lot of eggs in the basket with one of those sophomores and drew aller at quarterback but yeah right now i don't think it's even just the roster jeremy i think there's a a, a strong consensus that this coaching staff that james franklin has assembled is the best he's put together at penn state a little bit of a surprise for some maybe that manny diaz is around for year two as a defensive coordinator obviously there were head coach opportunities he could have pursued after year one here with the success he had mike yersich has really kind of started started to build momentum he's in year three as your offensive coordinator now and you go across the list guys like terry smith uh, at cornerbacks coach and phil troutwine on the offensive line uh, they've been around campus for a long time now, and this is their room. They, they kind of take ownership. They've recruited the guys who are starting. They've recruited the guys who are the backup. So they're in a good place right now, and there's very few excuses to be found in case things don't work out for the Nittany Lions this fall. I, I was going to ask, is, is this the best opportunity uh, for them to win the Big Ten, and, and how much pressure comes on James Franklin because of that? I almost, it's almost, I'm hesitant to say because it feels like next year may be the best opportunity because they don't have mm -hmm. Ohio State and Michigan in the, the same division anymore. Because that's, let's face it, that's been a difficult situation for, for James Franklin and company. They've, they've had their close calls. They've, they've had a few 11 win seasons, but none of them have ended up uh, in the college football playoff. And only one of them has actually led to Indianapolis for the Big Ten championship, which was back in 2016. That was a surprise run. And, you know, to this point, Michigan is now taking ownership of that mantle as the team to beat. For so long, it was Ohio State. And Michigan and Ohio, uh, Michigan and Penn State, historically under Harbaugh and, and Franklin, have kind of exchanged punches. They've exchanged some blowout victories as well. Uh, but with Ohio State, you know, you got to go back to that 2016 run to the last time that Penn State beat the Buckeyes. They've had some close calls. They've had late-blown leads. They've had gut-wrenching losses. But they have not had wins against Ohio State. So something's got to change. They've got to beat at least one of them. If you beat both of them, considering the rest of the schedule, uh, if you can avoid a stumble, you're probably in really good shape to get to Indy. But you got to go to Columbus. You've got to host uh, you know, the Wolverines here in Beaver Stadium along the way. And, and oh, by the way, a, a matchup on the road against Illinois, 11 o'clock local time, is precisely the kind of scary factor that you have to account for uh, in the Big Ten schedule. So Look, there's landmines across the way. I'd feel a lot better in saying they're going to get to the playoff if we were up to a 12-team field right now because you could say three Big Ten teams could get involved there. Uh, but right now, until proven otherwise, Penn State, the benefit of the doubt right there is just not, not, not in place that they can pile up the bandwagon and drive on through the Buckeyes and Wolverines. And maybe they're where Michigan was in, in 2021, where not a lot of people even in Ann Arbor were quite buying into that they could get it done until they did. So maybe we're on the verge of it, but uh, until proven otherwise, it's, it's you still kind of slot Penn State third in that Big Ten East, yet that might place them fifth or sixth at large across America right now. Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of teams in the Big Ten East that are they're happy divisions are going away, but I think Penn State might be the happiest just to have a chance to get to Indy a little bit more often. Drew Auer, uh, he, he's one of the biggest players to watch in the Big Ten this entire season of, of the entire conference. Obviously, Sean Clifford, a very – great career at Penn State, but there always seemed to be a ceiling to, to what he brought talent-wise. Uh, Aller is the number one quarterback in the class of 2022, five-star prospect. What are the expectations? What is the hype for him right now in Happy Valley? Well, he walks around campus and he looks like a defensive end. He's six foot five, about 245 pounds. And then you remember that he can touch every blade of grass on the field with the football because of his arm. Uh, and he's got a ton of poise. I mean, that that's really what you hear about him right now. He's a guy orchestrating the offseason meetups with the wide receivers, with the skill position players on offense. He's got a lot of ground to make up. But I will point out that while Sean Clifford held on to those reins last year and there were plenty of calls. And, and at one point there were booze in Beaver Stadium trying to drive James Franklin to make a change. He didn't. To his credit, Sean, Sean Clifford, easily the, the strongest uh, season of his career. And he finished with probably the best game of his life in the Rose Bowl. But now, Drew Aller, you, you referenced ceiling. That's what it is. You're looking at that elevated ceiling for what this offense can accomplish, for what Mike Yersich can dial up from a play standpoint, and for what your playmakers can do with their speed uh, down the field. Because you've got a guy – 
who can really put that ball where it needs to be. And we've heard so much about arm talent and we've heard dozens of quarterbacks over the past couple of decades who were six foot five, uh, big frame, could launch the ball. And then they fizzled once they got to college football fields because the live bullets came and they didn't stand up to the task and they couldn't lead a huddle of young men. What we're hearing from Drew Aller, based on a sample size last year when he played as much as any true freshman in a Nittany Lions uniform since Christian Hackenberg back in 2013, Franklin designed some ways there. There were also some injury issues with uh, with Clifford at times. So he saw action. But this spring, it's been more his show this summer as well. And we're hearing that when the pocket starts to collapse around him and pressure is applied and chaos ensues, he remains calm within himself. He can move the pocket. Uh, and, and more importantly, he can make those quick decisions to match a launch pad of an arm. So you put all those things together. And I think where the confidence comes from is he's not playing against a slack defense here. Uh, this is a talented bunch. I think talent on paper right now, this could be the best defense in the Big Ten. They're going to have to prove it over the course of 12 games. But they have assembled a serious group of, of defensive talent under the mind of Manny Diaz, and they're not taking it easy on Drew Aller on the practice field. He was without his top two tight ends because of some some uh, injury issues this spring. He was without Olu Fashinu, uh during the spring game. He took some heat, and, and I think that's a good thing because I don't I, looking at the schedule, I don't know when he's going to encounter a defense until maybe he gets into October. No offense to Illinois, I love their front, but I think from front to back. This Penn State defense brings a lot to the practice field, and that's going to help him out. And I think right now when the curtain raises, primetime, West Virginia, September 2nd, Beaver Stadium, there's a lot of optimism that it's going to get going to come together and the fireworks are going to start with night one. But we got to see, man. I, I've been I, I, Before I covered Penn State, I covered big-time college football recruits. That was kind of what my wheelhouse was, and that meant a lot of quarterbacks. And you talk to guys who were 16, you were sure they were going to end up in the NFL. You were sure they were going to end up starting 30 college games. They may not even gotten to one start before they transferred to three other schools. So you're just not sure. But right now, people are very excited about Drew Aller, who, by the way, has not been named QB1 yet by James Franklin. But stay tuned. Uh, yeah, thanks for that update. Uh, I'm just, <laughs> we have pins and needles for that one. A uh, pair of good running backs, <clears throat> excuse me, around him. Uh, Olu Fashanu, the number one offensive tackle in college football. How good is this offense around him? I mean, it's it's remarkable because a year ago, Olu had one career start. He, he started the Outback Bowl, which was a loss in, in New Year's Day of 2022. And we knew he was going to ascend to the starting left tackle job. We didn't know that by the time October rolled around, he'd be showing up in the top half of mock drafts round one for the next year. We're thinking, well, enjoy this guy while you got him. And during the Ohio State matchup, he goes down, which obviously hurt them late stages of the, against the Buckeyes in Beaver Stadium last year. But he missed the rest of the regular season, five games, and he missed the Rose Bowl. So he played in seven of 13 games for, for, for a team that really found their groove late. And it felt like we were heading toward, well, this is going to be one of those what-if kind of careers, here and gone, off to the NFL. It's just too much opportunity. He turned it down. He stuck around. He's got the highest GPA on this entire roster, by the way. And he's also projected as the highest uh, draft pick on this roster. So it's a good combination. And I think when you look at the offensive line, it's a strength for this team. And I, I've never said that uh, covering this team ever going into a year. And, and so that tells you where in year four under Phil Troutline, it has come. Uh, it was such a question mark going into last season. They've now got six guys back who started at least five games last year. They had to do some shuffling. Olu Fashion missed time. Their left guard, Landon Tengwall, missed the final seven games of the season. Uh, they were they were banged up across there, and they still fortified things. So a big move for them is Hunter Norzad, who was really quality last year. He stepped up with Landon Tengwall out. He's going to be playing uh, center now. He was the left guard last year. He was the backup initially. Then he was the starter for the final seven matchups. He's a Cornell transfer, brought that Ivy League degree, came to town, and he's in year two. It's year six overall at college for him. So it feels like they're in good hands for a guy at center who – bring some serious athleticism and, and physicality, but also the brains that you want uh, in front of a young quarterback. They lost to Scruggs, who was a second-round pick. So, uh, yeah. you know, th that's a significant loss. He was a team captain for them and a catalyst. Question for, for this offensive line is right tackle. Caden uh, Wallace has played a lot of football for them. He's been their starting right tackle, when healthy for the last few years. But he missed the final few regular season games last year with an injury came back as a backup for the Rose Bowl. And now they've got Drew Shelton pushing him on that side. Drew Shelton was a true freshman last year, 
started the last five games of the season with Olu Fashionu sidelined. And so it's a bit of a learning curve going from the left side to the right side at the tackle spot. But that's something to watch because I think they need more than average play from that spot. If they can get above average to, to go to or great play at right tackle, not going to be able to poke a lot of holes in this offensive line. And I think they'll probably come this Illinois matchup. I don't think I'd be surprised that they're going seven or eight offensive linemen with regularity because Phil Troutwine isn't going to shy away. If he feels like guys give him a chance to win the game, he won't just stick with five. So you could see rotations at right guard, right tackle, left guard. Olu's untouchable, uh, left tackle. And I think Hunter Norzad is going to be the man at center. Well, you think about two years ago in that epic, if we want to call it that nine overtime win for Illinois that, that shocked the nation. 62 rushing yards for Penn State, 357 for Illinois. It, it was just – that was kind of the coming out party, I think, for Illinois' defensive line with Johnny Newton, Keith Randolph, and all of them. Uh, but also, it, it was just shocking to see Illinois win in the trenches. So now we're talking about Penn State. Their str- a strength could be the offensive line. And Phil Steele is Penn State's the number one defensive line, number one linebacker. So top defensive front in the Big Ten. They seem to have made a lot of strides since uh, Illinois last saw Penn State. Yeah, I mean that that was that was a, a body. We thought it was a low point, but that that was a bit of a just a spiral that ensued during that 2021 season. It went from five and zero to seven and six. Uh, so uh, last year was definitely kind of a let's prove it. James Franklin already had a long contract extension in his back pocket, but it was kind of like, where's the program? We got to figure this out. The, the, we'll, call, we'll call COVID a wash, but then they followed it up with a seven and six season. So are they going to get back to, to the pursuit of big 10 titles here? And they did to their credit and, and, and finishing with 11 victories and finishing on a five game win streak after that loss to Ohio state. Uh, and so I think defensively a big answer was provided there for Manny Diaz because Brent Pry was the right-hand man for, for James Franklin on the staff for a while. He went and took over as Virginia tech's head coach. And you thought, okay, is a defense blueprint going to stay the same is it going to get blown up and you saw some some typical calling cards that we were familiar with prior to Manny Diaz's arrival but there was a different aggressiveness to it and man there was just so much implemented talent I mean Manny, Manny Diaz was going like 25 deep in game one and it just kept going And game one against Purdue went down to the wire it wasn't like they were just rotating guys late in the game and that stayed all season long so they were fresh uh, and and they had a guy like Chuck Robinson who by a lot of people's uh, projections is going to be a first round pick next year. He wasn't a starter for, for them technically last year. He was the third defensive end. Uh, it never logged the start. And they had, you know, guys like uh, Kobe King at middle linebacker coming off the bench and playing 300 plus snaps. And so it was a little you know, to look at starters versus backups in this defense is a little bit tricky. They lose Joey Porter Jr. Who's an all American at the cornerback position. They lose a, a stalwart at defensive tackle and PJ Mustafer, who's been around for a while. But one area where I think only gets better, and you can make a case that defensive back and defensive line have gotten better, but linebacker, you lose Jonathan Sutherland. He was a backup last season, converted safety. That's all you lost in terms of experience. So you bring back a couple guys who are essentially splitting starting roles at Mike Linebacker and Tyler Elsden and Kobe King. You bring back Curtis Jacobs, who's a third-year starter, has a ton of Big Ten play under his belt, former five-star prospect. And then Abdul Carter, who, man, he just took the world by storm last year as, as a force in the Big Ten last year. And, and and now I think people are kind of saying he could be the Big Ten linebacker of the year as a sophomore. But is he going to make inroads at Mike position? Is he going to st- stay at the will linebacker spot? Because they brought in another freshman here. It's LBU for a reason, I guess, because they just keep showing up at the doorstep. Tony Rojas came to town. And he put on 30 pounds in his first semester. He could factor in at the will position. So he's making Manny Diaz, I think, come up with some imaginative ways to implement his linebackers they could go six seven deep with regularity but there's some all-american talent at the top of that group and then you factor in where they can probably go three deep at defensive end and defensive tackle there it can throw a lot of bodies a lot of speed at you and i just think that's a challenge even if you don't end up with with a bunch of stars from that mix you've got enough really good players there and a bunch of blue chip caliber talent i think where a lot of teams are just not going to have answers up front Besides Aller, Tyler, what is the biggest question mark about this team? Wide receiver position. So we kind of, I guess, tether that to, to Drew a little bit as a quarterback. But look, in the backfield, he's going to be able to rely on probably the, at least the second best uh, in the Big Ten in terms of running back tandem, maybe the second best in the country with Katron Allen and Nick Singleton. Singleton's getting a ton of love right now, deservedly so. Big Ten freshman of the year. Do not sleep on Katron Allen. He was a force last year. He got just as much work as Nick Singleton every step of the way. And I think he has noticed, and so is running backs coach Jaywan Sider, that 
he is getting slept on a little bit. So I think we're going to see a chip on the shoulder out of Katron Allen. But things are good there. Things are really good at tight end. I think even though you lost second round pick in Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson is an absolute force. He has the 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 specimen uh, uh, you know about him to be a first round talent if he can put together a complete season at tight end he's he's got to be available for them he's had some injury issues but he's about 270 pounds jeremy at six foot five plus and he's a former top five tight end prospect we're going to see that shine through at wide receiver you look through and you just don't have a lot of guys that you can hang your hat on right now keandre labor smith had an explosive finish to last season big performance in the rose bowl nice way to cap things off for him but he now says he wants to be wide receiver one. And to this point, he's been wide receiver three, maybe a fringe wide receiver two last year with, with Parker Washington uh, injured late in the season. So that's asking a lot. They bring in Dante Cephas from Kent State. He was one of the more coveted transfers at, at the wide receiver position. Uh, big time numbers, almost 2,000 receiving yards the last couple of years in the MAC. But this ain't the MAC. So we're going to find out about how that transitions. They brought in Malik McLean, uh, who started some games for Florida State in the past. He's a six foot four, big body, 200 pound receiver who can be a vertical threat down the field, but still there's a learning curve there. And, and there's a reason that he left the Seminoles. He wasn't going to be a starter for them. Um, and I think you just look at the in-house uh, kind of the swell of young talent. They have five second-year wide receivers. Only one of them burned redshirt last year. That's a name to know in Amari Evans. But Caden Saunders was their top-ranked receiver signing last year. A uh, pretty big name out of the state of Ohio in the Columbus area. Ohio State never offered. Penn State signed him came to town with some serious speed. I think he's starting to put it together. And then the son of former uh, Packers re receiver, Donald Driver, an all-pro in the NFL, his son Christian is now a redshirt freshman, was at cornerback for the Nittany Lions last year, decided switching things up, following in dad's footsteps, playing receiver, good early returns on him. But that's why I'm mentioning so, names, so many names at wide receiver here, Jeremy, because we don't have a bunch. And I guess when you're naming 10 guys – it's because you can't lock it in. And, and, oh, by the way, you've got Sean Clifford's little brother, Liam Clifford, who's a year three guy. Uh, it could be a, a factor in the slot. They've got to have at least five, six guys to count on here because they have the arm talent, I think, to get it done. And, and, and wide receiver, James Franklin keeps saying it this offseason, wide receiver is the spot where you can beat teams. Running backs got to make too many guys miss, got to break too many tackles. You got to make one guy miss at wide receiver. You're seeing it change the way college football teams attack at every single conference and in, in, in conferences, we didn't think that wide receiver was going to become the alpha position. And James Franklin has been really banging in the drum. They made a change at the wide receiver coach too, bringing in Marcus Sagan's firing Tyler Taylor Stubblefield. So a lot is riding on making sure that drew Aller has the, the supporting cast and from that group. Well, West Virginia is a start. That's a, that's a pretty fun start in, in happy Valley there. Um, and obviously you're always going to circle the dates of Ohio state, which is October 21st in Michigan. November 11th. Um, I obviously Illinois is not top of mind for, for Penn state fans, but uh, two years ago, Illinois shocked the world with, with beating them. What do you make of that game? Uh, 11 a.m. Kickoff. Illinois got two tough games before that Toledo Mac champion at home. And then you have Kansas on the road. Uh, so we'll find out a lot more about Illinois probably in the first two weeks than Penn state. But what does that game mean for Penn state coming to Champaign? I'm glad you emphasized Illinois' first couple of games when you were on my podcast this week because I don't know if they care. people carry enough respect for what they're going to have to go through if they get to 2-0 in this Penn State matchup. It will have certainly been earned. Uh, whereas Penn State, uh, look, West Virginia, I'm, I'm anticipating probably a sub-500 season for them. They might have a lame duck coach down there. Uh, and then Delaware comes to town for a noon kickoff the next week. So what will we learn? I I'm not sure, but I do know that if things go well for Penn State, the Drew Aller hype train is going to be riding. You might have some Heisman buzz for one of these running backs, and, and they're going to be 2-0 and and probably pushing toward the top five in rankings. But to me, Illinois is where we're going to start to learn a lot about this and start to peel back some of those layers with Penn State because that's going to be a different kind of football uh, than, than what West Virginia is going to bring to town. West Virginia is not going to be a hard-nosed defensive team. Uh, I'm not thinking they're, that they're going to be very tough up front in the offensive line based on what I've heard from people down in Morgantown. Totally different situation in Illinois. You're going to be going up against some serious walls on both sides of the balls here. And, and I think that's going to challenge this offensive front. Look, they, they did it one year, and I'm saying they're a strength now. But, it, it you know, let's see them sustain it. You know, we see the calling card teams in the Big Ten, the Michigans and Ohio State. It's year after year where you can kind of hang your hat on you know, whatever, whoever we lose, we're going to be able to put together a pretty solid offensive line. Now, Penn State lost some pieces, but they have a lot there. Are they fortified enough in week three where, where this Illinois test comes at them? They pass it. They keep Drew Aller clean enough. Uh, they're able to create rushing lanes, which they could not do against Illinois a couple of years ago. And then I think defensively, they need to avoid a, a punch in the mouth. 
before they get right. You just want to see them be going into the season and get right. A couple of years ago, they got punched in the mouth in Beaver Stadium by Illinois. Then that was their wake-up call. Uh, last year, they got walloped on the road against Michigan. They ran it down their throat. That forced them to kind of change things up, look in the mirror. The rest of the way, they were a different defense. You want to avoid that moment here in week three. And I think so that front seven's under some scrutiny. Some of these new safeties are going to be under some scrutiny uh, against Illinois because I really think that's what it's going to come down to for them is really controlling this game in the box defensively and be able to apply that pressure. Um, so ultimately, I think we're going to learn a, a more about Illinois through the first two weeks, like you said, than Penn State. Uh, you know, where that could change is if Penn State struggles and stumbles at some point or, or, or one of these games is very dicey. But even if they skate by West Virginia and, and roll over Delaware, we get to September 16th. I think a lot of us who cover the program closely are still going to be waiting to firmly put our feet on the bandwagon here and say Penn State's going to go roll through the Big Ten. We want to see it against Illinois. Um, and, and to your point, Jeremy, if Illinois staggers into this one and doesn't handle their business through a 2-0 start, then maybe the complexion of, of, of this matchup looks a little bit different from my perspective as well. Yeah, the one thing I can't wait for this game, Tyler, uh, I, I think Penn State's got the talent advantage in the skill positions, but there's going to be a lot of NFL scouts there. Um, mm -hmm. the, the, the talent in the trenches with, with obviously – Penn State with Fashanu, with Abdul Carter, with uh, Chop Roberts. I mean, they're just loaded up front. And then Kalen King, obviously, is a, potentially a very high draft pick. But Johnny Newton, Keith Randolph, Julian Pearl, all those guys going against each other in the trenches. There's going to be a lot of that film and uh, the 2024 NFL draft. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that part of the, the battle mostly. Jeremy, I'll just say Penn State has always done a really good job with this one and zero mentality. Every game matters as much as the next one, at least at least out to us outwardly, public settings, uh, reporter settings, media scrums. But this one's going to carry something. These guys know what happened in Beaver Stadium. They were feeling really good about that season early on through about six weeks of the 2021 year. They were back inside the top 10. They felt like they had a good thing going got back into Beaver Stadium and just got manhandled in so many ways by Illinois, shocked a lot of people. The nine overtime just was the salt in the wound, uh, how that one played out. So a lot of players are still on that team. They were younger. Maybe they weren't the you know starters or, or, or notable figures in that matchup that day, but that was an embarrassment. I mean, it, there's really no other way to look around it from, from a Nittany Lions perspective. I think they were ranked inside the top 10 that afternoon as well. And so I think they're going to carry that with them into this matchup. I'd imagine They'll, they won't tell us as much, I, I think, leading up to kickoff. But I do detect we'll be picking that up on the practice field that week. And so something to monitor that and, and the ensuing matchup for them home against Iowa whiteout game. A couple of years ago, there were some boos at Iowa because of Penn State injuries. People thought they were being fake. So back to back weeks where you could say maybe there's some extra incentive in early Big Ten play for the Nittany Lions to cast aside some some demons from recent seasons. Well, Tyler Donahue, uh, it's going to be a, a fun season in, in Penn State and Happy Valley. Obviously, some high expectations there, but can't wait for that game because we're going to learn a lot about these two teams. Tyler Donahue, thanks for the time, man. Thank you. Great stuff from Tyler Donahue. Coming up next, let's preview Maryland and uh, old friend Michael Oxley. Obviously, did great things for Illinois as their offensive coordinator, the Ron Zook era, helping them get some great talent, including Regis Ben, Vontae Davis. And uh, let's check in with Jeff Ehrman, who covers Maryland for 24-7 Sports, as Mike Loxley enters his fifth year with two straight bowl wins. And uh, can Maryland surprise people in the East Division this year? Jeff Ehrman breaks that down next on the Online Enquirer podcast. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. All right, let's check in on the East Coast. 
Illinois football playing Maryland again. Maryland snuck in to Champaign and snuck out with a victory, down seven with five minutes left, and they won in regulation. But Jeff Ehrman covers Maryland for 24-7 sports. Jeff, thanks for joining us. I got to say, Maryland is uh, not an easy one on anybody's schedule. Uh, 15-11 the last two seasons, back-to-back bowl wins. And uh, our guy Loxley, Mike Loxley, seems to be doing pretty well there. So what has been his impact on the Terps program so far? I think he's gradually turned things around from a really bad situation, both on the field and off the field. You know, he had to clean up the mess uh, resulting from Jordan McNair's death, the offensive lineman who had a heat stroke and died uh, six years ago. So there was a lot of kind of a dark cloud over the program. You know, they hadn't had a winning season in a while, so it took some time, but now they're getting to that point where it's his program, it's all his players, it's all his program, and, you know, they've won 15 games the past two seasons combined, so it's more than they've done. You know, the first time they've done that in about 15 years, so he has them headed in the right direction. And now the obvious question is, can you take the next step from seven or eight wins to nine or ten wins? So, Jeff, I want to ask you this question before we dive into this year's team. How much changes for Maryland when divisions are gone in the Big Ten? I think it's a godsend for Maryland. You know, that's the thing they've talked about quietly for years. They knew that this was coming and kind of counting down the days, not that they were giving up on these seasons or scared to play anybody, but the deck is stacked against you when you're playing Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State every single year. And on the West, you know, there's obviously good teams, but if you take out a Michigan and a Penn State one year, for instance, and replace that with a Purdue and Northwestern or what have you, suddenly taking that next step from seven or eight wins to more seems a lot more feasible because, you know, they're, they're combined against those three teams, Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. Maryland is 3-22 and 22 since joining the Big Ten. So that's, you know, a big anchor on your, on your win-loss record every year. This is the 10th season of Maryland in the Big Ten. Um, unlike Rutgers, That's amazing. <laughs> unlike Rutgers, Maryland has been competitive in the two major sports. Been pretty good in basketball, um, but ten years later, what do you think of the fit and just the reality of Maryland now? Just a you know a full member in the Big Ten. Yeah, it's amazing. It's been ten years. I mean, that's I remember the story breaking. That was 2012. So it's you know since they actually signed up to join, uh, it's been even longer. But you know I think. The, the fit is okay, you know. I don't think it's you know culturally or in terms of having a rival. It's still not an organic fit. I don't think that just hasn't developed yet. They've, they've had some little mini rivalries. Obviously, they dislike Penn State, but in order for it to be a rivalry, you have to beat the other team more often than they've beaten them. Um, basketball, I think it's been a little better for them. Obviously, it's easier to climb. Maryland's the basketball school. Big Ten is a football conference, so it's tougher on the football side. But overall, you know, uh, they should be, you know, they're obviously in a great position compared to 99% of the other schools out there in the ACC or Big Ten or Big 12 that aren't wanted by the Big Ten or the SEC. So they really, it's been a lifeline for them financially for sure. Okay, so this 2023 Maryland team, uh, only five returning starters on offense, but most of them are their best skill players, including the quarterback, which I guess Talia Tangavaloa could be one of the top two returning quarterbacks in the Big Ten. How good can this offense be for Maryland this year? You know, it all comes down, or I shouldn't say all, but it mostly comes down to the offensive line. They had two tackles drafted. They lost two more starters to the trans, you know, expected starters to the transfer portal. Uh, Mason Lunsford went to LSU. Colton Derry went to TCU. So they're relying a lot on transfers and younger guys coming up and becoming, you know, at least rotational guys, if not starters. So I think that's the question. And, and if Talia can be a little more consistent and hit on the deep ball more. They didn't hit on the deep ball much last year. Uh, they changed offensive coordinators. I think they're hoping that that will improve the, uh, upon that and give them more uh, explosive plays in terms of play calling. Uh, but, I mean, he's obviously super talented. You know, everybody has him at least in the top three in the Big Ten, not top two among quarterbacks in the Big Ten. They have a ton of weapons at receiver and running back. So the potential is there to be, you know, one of their best offenses in a long time. I think it's just going to come down to 
if that offensive line can hold up and if to me it can be a little more consistent in the kind of games that he has a few times a season where he gets off to a rocky start and gets kind of stuck in his own head and just falls off a cliff. I, I meant to ask you this. Maryland had five NFL draft picks in, in the spring. That was tied for fourth most uh, in the Big Ten. I was going to ask you, like, wh- where do you think those fa- losses will be felt most? But you kind of answered offensive line and, and probably the secondary, I'd imagine. Yeah, secondary, big time. You know, Deontay Banks was a first-round pick. Corey Bennett was also drafted in the fifth round. Those are your two best corners. So now you have one guy, really one corner, who's played any real significant snaps. Tarheep still, he's good. But behind him, you know, you're hoping uh, – they're going to transfer Jaquan Shepard from Cincinnati, who was an all AAC first team guy. So you're hoping he'll become that second guy, and some a bunch of younger DVs will step up. You know, they're a little better off at safety, a lot better off, I should say. Bo Brade is probably should be one of the better safeties in the Big Ten, and then Dante Trader, free safety, is a great athlete. He's on Allen's lacrosse team too, hoping. For him to take that next step, and then they got Avante Williams, a transfer from Miami, who was a five-star recruit, didn't really pan out at Miami, but still a talented guy. He'll be in the mix. So safety should be good. Cornerback is definitely – cornerback depth is definitely a The defense did take a step forward. I mean, it, it really struggled in recent years. But last year, they cut their points a lot per game from 31 to 23. They got six starters back. You mentioned Banks, Bennett, gone – but what's the key on the defensive side of the ball for you? How good can they be there? I think defensive line, you know, they've got – they lost pretty much their entire defensive line. They have some guys that they think are more talented and athletic than the guys who left, but they're not proven. Jordan Phillips is the big name. Uh, transfer from Tennessee who got lost in the mix of, you know, four-star recruits they pile up there. Kid from Orlando who Maryland really wanted the first time around coming out of high school and finish that you know how that sometimes works with the, with the boomerang effect you finish second for a guy when he's transferring you end up getting him so they think he's a stud they've got a four starting Tommy King Basote who's a four star three years ago they feel like he's ready to come into his own and then they have a kid named Donnell Brown transferred from St. Francis on the FCS level and put up huge numbers tackling 23 tackles for a loss or something like that last year and they feel like quietly he could be a really impactful pass rusher. But that, to me, is the key. They've got some some really good young talent at linebacker, Jay Sean Barham. Uh, as a true freshman last year, was arguably their best defensive player, which you can rarely say about a true freshman. But defensive line and corner is where they, they – you know, where they need to answer some questions. But, they, you know, they have Brian Williams, new defensive coordinator, I think is a rising star. He took over last year at – uh, has them playing better, you know, than they had because before he he took over, it was perennially 13th, 14th in the Big Ten in, in, in a lot of the defensive categories. I look at the schedule, Jeff, and Maryland has a chance to start well. Um, Tozen, uh, Tozen, Charlotte, Virginia, Virginia's kind of a mess. Uh, at Michigan State, home against Indiana, you go to Ohio State, then you're home against Illinois before an off week, so. Uh, just looking at that, I mean, what do you think of that start and what's that Illinois game mean for the Terps? Yeah, that's one of those swing games for them. You know, Illinois obviously last year had a breakout season. Questions there, you know, about which, you know, the talent they're going to have a quarterback, whether that's going to be as good as the play they got last year. Uh, tons of guys coming back, obviously, on the defense. Defense should be really good. So that's the kind of game, you know, like you said, Maryland should beat Virginia, Towson, Charlotte. They should get off to that good 3-0 and start. But Illinois is one of those swing games, kind of like Purdue last year. They could have had a nine-win season, and they kind of threw the game away again at Purdue against Purdue. And those are the kind of games, along with, the, obviously, those Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State games, the swing games have really eluded them in recent years, and that's kind of been the difference between, again, getting six wins or eight or nine wins. So uh, that, that, to me, is one of the biggest swing games on the schedule. So the schedule uh, is never easy in the Big Ten East, but the crossovers, home against Illinois, on the road, at Northwestern, and Nebraska. So for you, Jeff, like what would constitute a successful season for the Terps? You know, I think nobody's, nobody's going to be screaming for, for Mike Loxley to be fired if they get seven wins. They're also not going to have a parade, but I think that would be a solid season. I think eight is a good season. No arguing with that. You know, people would be pleased 
and gets a nine or above, you know, that's what they're looking at. This is this season, based on the momentum they built and the and, you know the, the graduation from six wins to seven to eight. You, this is the year where you're thinking it all needs to come together. It's Talia's last year. You have all this talent you've built up. So I think you know everybody would be happy with with eight, seven would be solid, but they really want to break through to that those next numbers this season. Obviously, one of the reasons they hired Mike Loxley, Jeff, is because his connections there, the DMV, how he recruits there, and and we know him here at Illinois as one heck of a recruiter. How has that translated as Maryland's head coach? Because as, as we talked about with the draft, like Maryland seems like they, they got some real talent there. Yeah, he's recruited well. I mean, that's no surprise to you guys. You saw him in action with Juice ben, uh, Juice uh, Williams. Obviously, you guys stole Aurelius Ben from right under Maryland's nose and all the other DMV guys and other guys he got there during that great run he had at Illinois. So he's done a similar job at Maryland. And, you know, they're not pulling top 15 classes because that's virtually impossible when you're Maryland, especially in the NIL era. But they're, they're, they're pulling in really respectable, you know, top 30-ish classes this year. A lot of good transfers, one of the better transfer classes in the Big Ten. You know, they have guys in several positions who could be their best at several positions who are transfers. Obviously, the DMV is a really difficult place to recruit because everyone comes there. Ohio State, they all love the DMV. But, you know, he's getting his show, guys. He, he always gets his late flips, you know, close to signing day. There's always a big four-star shocker. So, you know, when you look at the talent the guys got drafted, it's not just that he, he he's not just stacking, like, four-star players. He also has a really good eye. You know, these some of these guys, Corian Bennett didn't have any offers coming out of high school, had to go to JUCO to get offers, turn him into a draft pick. Spencer Anderson, who got drafted, the tackle, no, nobody really wanted him. Uh, Deontay Banks, who went in the first round, I don't, I don't think he had any other BCS Power Five conference offers. So uh, he's he's also a really good scout. In addition to having these connections and being able to pull off these four-star kind of guys. A mid-October visit for Illinois to Maryland, uh, which again could be off to a pretty good start. Uh, year five with Mike Loxley there. Jeff Ehrman uh, covers Maryland for twenty-four-seven Sports and does it really well. Jeff, really appreciate your time, man. I appreciate you having me. Good stuff from Jeff Ehrman. Apologies for some of the uh, technical difficulties there, but I still thought it was good enough to hear from from Jeff and get some insight on, on Maryland. Doesn't get a lot of focus, of course, in the Big Ten, but kind of like Illinois, maybe a little sneaky dark horse. I'm not saying to win the East or anything, but uh, maybe surprise people. Maybe a chance at eight wins. Maybe an outside chance. They just haven't been able to have that big upset. I think they beat Penn State during the uh, COVID year, but other than that, they, they just haven't been able to – pick up those big upsets against Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. Um, they have enough talent to, to potentially do it, especially if you're at home. Uh, do they have the talent in the trenches? Uh, I think it's a game against Illinois where Maryland probably has the advantage with the skill players, but Illinois I, I like more in the, in the trenches. So we'll see what some of their transfer additions can give, but uh, Mike Loxley is doing a really pretty solid job uh, at Maryland. So uh, good stuff from Jeff. Hope you've uh, enjoyed all these primers and, and previews of the Big Ten opponents. Kind of getting me ready for Big Ten and Big Ten media days and the start of the season. But hopefully it's getting you more locked in on the teams that Illinois is going to see because it's going to be a very competitive schedule. I don't think it's a, the most daunting schedule, but there's just not a lot of gimmies there. I mean, outside of Florida Atlantic, maybe Northwestern, uh, there's just not a lot of games Illinois is going to enter as double-digit favorites or double-digit underdogs. Toledo, MAC champion, projected to be a MAC champion again. Kansas on the road, Penn State at home. You know, I don't think Illinois is going to be a huge favorite against Purdue or, or a ton of these other Big Ten teams, but they they will be favored in, in several games and uh, a lot of their games at home, and a lot of these are toss ups. So, be interesting to see how they handle that, how they if they can sustain success again, which is one of the the biggest overall storylines of this entire season. Uh, check out all the Illini Inquirer, Illinois football, Illinois basketball content at IlliniInquirer.com. Give us a follow, rating, review wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate when you guys do that. And as always, you can check out all the Illini Inquirer podcast interviews up at our YouTube channel. Give us a follow, subscribe to us, hit the notifications bell. That really, really helps us out. Joy Wagner and I heading to Indianapolis on Tuesday to cover the heck out of Big Ten Media Days. Learn a little bit more about Illinois or what people have to say about Illinois at Big Ten Media Day. So 
be on the lookout for all the content coming from that. And as always, appreciate you guys listening to the Online Enquirer podcast. Everybody have a great day. Take care of each other. And we'll talk to you next time right here on the Online Enquirer podcast. Bye, everybody. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.